Vegas. Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. On Saturday, January 15th, the front line in the battle against anti-Semitism was Congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville, Texas, a small town which has now become a household name, infamous because Malik Akram held four hostages at gunpoint for 11 interminable hours. From the moment that I heard that w- what was going on until I saw Texas Governor Abbott's tweet that the hostages were thankfully out and safe, I feel like I did not breathe. But I did mobilize, as did all of ADL, and very quickly, even though it was Shabbat. But what does that mean? What happens with an ADL in such a crisis situation? Here to give us the inside perspective on what happened that day within ADL is my colleague, Greg Erie, ADL's Vice President for Law Enforcement and Analysis. Welcome, Greg, to From the Front Lines. Scott, thank you so much for having me. So, Greg, you were the one within ADL who got that first phone call about the hostage crisis. Who called you and why did you get that call? Absolutely, Scott. And it's a call you never want to get. And for my time and as a former law enforcement official, it's a call you dread. But on early Saturday morning, received a call from FBI headquarters uh, from uh, the director's office. The director's staff was calling me. At first, it was I was a little confused to say, hey, they went immediately into there's been a hostage situation. It's ongoing down in Texas, four hostages in a synagogue. Can the ADL help? Uh, I said, absolutely, you know, no hesitation, of course we can. And this just speaks to the longstanding relationship we have with law enforcement in our 100-year history. And what they were looking for, again, in the early hours of this, obviously a synagogue uh, with a hostage taker, and he was making demands that we now know where to contact a rabbi, well-known rabbi up here in the New York area. And the initial call from the FBI was, can you assist us if we need to get in contact with this rabbi, which we did, and then maintained contact with the FBI throughout this 11-hour hostage-taking. What was that moment like, though? What what emotions were running through your head as you got this call? I, I remember it. I even feel my heart racing even now. And again, it doesn't matter how many times you get these emergency phone calls, but when you hear, hey, a hostage-taking, it, it takes on a new resonance. So I was uh, nervous. How can we help? Obviously, your mind starts racing. Uh, and it started to immediately make the phone calls within the ADL, not only to our regional director down in Dallas, uh, who is familiar with the location and the synagogue and the rabbi, but also the mechanisms that the ADL brings to this fight, our center on extremism, the intelligence piece of it, to get them geared up on a Shabbat, on a Saturday. And without question, every call I made, they got it, and they started the machines working, and everybody came back to address whatever we could and to stand by for this information from law enforcement. But myself, it was obviously nerve-wracking, but then you settle into that rhythm of, all right, how can we help? And you just hope for the best, and which is what happened at the resolution of this event. Okay, so let's unpack some of those pieces, some of the, the directions in which you went within, uh, within ADL. Uh, first of all, uh, you mentioned the Center on Extremism, and, and ADL is known for its intelligence and data coming from that center on extremism. Tell us about what uh, role they played and, and how you activated that. I immediately called my colleague, Warren Siegel, who is the vice president for the center on extremism. And for those listening, that is our intelligence piece. They study, there's roughly 25 analysts that just study extremism and extremists and track them as appropriate to say, what can we find out about them? And we share this information with communities and with law enforcement in particularly, and sometimes private conversations. 
that was what uh, press uh, led to the call from the FBI, which was, okay, what do you know about this person? When this started, and all throughout the 11 hours, the hostage taker was not identified. They had no idea who this was. So they were looking for anybody who could provide some kind of insight. ADL, again, that expert on uh, not only anti-Semitism but extremism, that's what they were looking for. And we were able to provide some pertinent information. And I know that they, uh, among other things, they're looking at social media sites and, and uh, not necessarily the mainstream social media sites, but those that, that don't have content moderation policies where extremists frequent. Uh, and they were able to find out a lot of information. Of course. And, and, you know, we don't want to give away, you know, some of the, the techniques and tactics they use. But it's not always on the open sites. Uh, and it's become more difficult, increasingly more difficult in modern times as these sites increase. And as we've seen as in the aftermath of uh, January 6th, a lot of these extremists hop from site to site. Uh, and some of them, there's some encryption details and other issues that you run into when you're trying to keep track of these extremist individuals and people with terrorist leanings. But our, our individuals that who work in the Center on Extremism, absolute experts at this. And that you combine that with that partnership with the law enforcement analysts, it's, it's a very fearsome foe that uh, I, for extremists to uh, counteract. Now, you mentioned the issue of the rabbi that they were looking for, a prominent New York rabbi, and that they needed help locating that person. How did that part of it unfold? The individual, the hostage taker, immediately, as I said, contacted the FBI and said that he would like to speak to an individual in the Jewish, a Jewish leadership position in New York. It then became apparent that he was trying to contact Rabbi Angela Bookdahl, who is a very, very prominent progressive reform movement leader up here in the Jewish community in the New York City area. Uh, there was no, and, and again, it, we, they did get in contact and spoke uh, as monitored by law enforcement. But there was no previous relationship. Uh, it was just somebody he was looking for he thought could help him uh, and had read or looked her up on social media. But the rabbi, uh, I give her all due credit, poised, spoke to them. It's not every day you get a call in the middle of a hostage situation, uh, but poised and, and worked with law enforcement to speak to him and to keep him calm. Now, Rabbi Citron Walker, uh, the courageous rabbi who threw the chair at the gunman, which allowed him and the two remaining hostages to flee, he, he credited ADL uh, with helping to prepare him for this moment. But he also credited SCN, the Secure Community yes. Network. SCN's a valued partner of ADL's. Tell us the overall role that SCN plays and, and about the partnership that they have with ADL. Absolutely. They're one of our most important partners underneath the Jewish Federation, the Secure Community Network. And the ADL has worked closely with them throughout the years, increasingly so as the threat increases. Uh, if I can you know, simplify in layman's terms, ADL brings the intelligence piece to the fight, the background on extremism, the tracking that we talked about with the Center on Extremism. And it complements the SCN mission, which is to provide communities with the physical means to mitigate these threats. You know, whether that be the camera systems, whether that be gates, guards, or just the awareness training and what they call active assailant or active shooter training. They had worked, uh, this synagogue had been very proactive over the last few years and had put up not only physical barriers, but very importantly, as we saw with the, the rabbi, had trained the congregants and the staff what to do just in case, which is something we preach on both with the ADL and SCN. And because they had that training, it speaks for itself when Rabbi Charlie credits, hey, I, I knew what to do. I was scared, obviously, but, but the presence of mine was there, and I fell back on my training, which is so important. 
Plus, he understood some of the what ADL provided. He had received briefings from us and had a very good connections with the ADL to understand what that threat looks like and to what they should do to deal with it. So that combination of ADL and SCN is really what we try to get out to all communities. Okay, so what happens now? It seems like there are many unanswered questions. How did Malik Akram get into this country? Who helped him? How did he obtain a gun? Is the FBI still investigating this matter? Oh, my, yes. Uh, I'm very familiar with this. As we talked about, and people need to realize, that situation started after the 11th hour. When the hostage situation was resolved, that was the focus of law enforcement, to understand and to get the hostages safely out. Then the real investigation begins. And part and parcel of that is to backtrack what they call a forensic analysis of the hostage taker of Mr. Akram's life. How did he get to this country? Where did he live before that? Not just the going backwards from the 11 hours, but back for years. Who did he associate with before this? What brought him here? The complexities here in this case is there's some overseas nexus. He was a U.K. citizen and traveled here with express interest in going to that synagogue. He landed in New York and traveled uh, you know, through our country over to Texas. At some points in there, met and talked to people and obtained a weapon. These are things that are all being very investigated heavily. The FBI wants a timeline and wants to know every minute of the day from the minute he landed on our shores, what did this person do? As another team looks backwards from there, what was he doing overseas? And that involves work with our overseas partners. And you would, of course, know because prior to joining ADL, you spent 22 years with the FBI, most recently serving as special agent in charge of the Newark Field Office, which manages all FBI investigations throughout the state of New Jersey. As we wind down the show, tell us how does a nice FBI agent end up at ADL? <laughs> it's a very quick journey. I wanted to continue as I transitioned out of federal service to keep doing good, to keep serving communities and the people. And the ADL has provided me with that opportunity, which I'm very grateful for. That's a great note to end the show on. Uh, thank you so much for playing such an important role in keeping us all safe. And, and thanks for being on today's show. Scott, thank you so much for having me. And, of course, a big thank you to the listeners who tuned in to From the Frontlines, either live on WVOX 1460 AM or as a podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and Twitter. My handle is at Scott A. Richmond, and our hashtag is fighting hate for good.